Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Allsport Magazine, Allsport.com, I'm Kevin Turner, and this is the Allsport Podcast. So this is one of our monthly national uh, Allsport podcasts, and the reason for that is we've got one of the biggest events of the year in the UK calendar, well, actually, probably on the international historic calendar, I would say, uh, to talk about. It's the Silverstone Classic, which I think they're calling the Classic this year, which we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. don't know why people need to rebrand things. Um, but joining me, I've got uh, two special guests, one of whom, the first, uh, has covered this event for many, many years and was covering, well, I think the longest serving member of the All Sport team. That's Marcus Pye. Marcus, welcome. How are you? Yeah, good afternoon, uh, Kevin, Ben, uh, everybody. Uh, yeah, good, thank you. And um, looking forward to this weekend at Silverstone very much. I've been going for many years, as you say. Um, and. I, I, like Ben, I've competed at the event as well. So, uh, you know, what's not to like, really? Absolutely, yeah. It was uh, it was missing from the calendar last year for obvious reasons that we're not going to go into, but uh, back for this year, and I think we're, we're all rather pleased about that. And Marcus has already hinted at my second special guest. He likes being called a special guest, so uh, I, I realise that from a previous podcast he's appeared on. But uh, he has indeed competed at the event. It's Ben Anderson um for gp racing but also really he's the reason i was on here is because he's our resident track tester and racer these days so so how are you doing ben yeah good thanks thanks for having me uh good to see marcus again it's been a long time yeah it uh, has but um nonetheless i'm still here and just entered my 45th year on the magazine effectively and I have to say, it's very impressive to see all the bound volumes behind Marcus. Unfortunately, listeners won't be able to see this, but it's a very impressive display. I do have quite a few in this room, but they're all they're all piled on the floor. Nothing like as organised as, as Marcus has got behind him there. Yeah, but, it looks uh, like a complete set, which actually it is. But um, what, what it could be reduced to in years to come is just a, a sort of a wallpaper effect that uh, if I ever move house or sort of um, you know, scale <laughs> down or something like that, I could pretend to have them there. But these are the real deal. You could take a picture and then just have it as your kind of wallpaper background forever. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. and what's really good about them is that they, they came, a lot of them came from a very famous racing driver. Um, they came from Peter Bolton, who um, who raced at Le Mans and tested Bluebird and all kinds of bits and pieces. And uh, I drove, I had about two thirds of a set. And then I, then I drove to the Isle of Man in the snow to, uh, in, a, in a hired transit, which didn't have a lot of mechanical grip. Um, to, um, <laughs> but, but lots of aero. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, rang, I arrived at about five in the morning um, at, at wherever it was, drove to uh, to Peter's house, uh, loaded them over a couple of hours, and then uh, then brought them back. And uh, he helped me unload them and uh, load them into the newly made shelves at our previous house. 
Well, Kev, maybe you could get Marcus to build you a shelf for your uh, your bound volumes. There. Hey, steady, steady on. Spread I, across I the floor. I think I need a sp- <laughs> I need a spare wall somewhere for the shelves to go before we start banging <laughs> holes best, into the best, walls. Um, the best uh, shelf builder in this household um, is is still out doing her IT job. Well, already we've gone off piece, which um, is is so a surprise to no nobody on this podcast. Quite. Um, so we'll we'll get we'll get back to the, to, to the Silverstone Classic now. Um, and Marcus, I'll throw to you first. You've obviously done the the preview in the magazine, uh, which is out this week, um, uh, picking out some of the things that uh, we can all see this weekend. But what are the what are the highlights? What are the things are you looking forward to um, this weekend? Well, for, for me, it's all about the racing. I mean, um, you know, it, it's great that uh, there's a, a really wide spectrum of stuff for enthusiasts of you know, general sort of road cars, collectors' cars, um, music, uh, all the rest of it to go to. But um, I just love the, the racing aspect of it. I also also enjoy the, uh, the sale, um, the Silverstone Auction sale, if I can get there. But um, um, normally the, the programme is so relentless that I can't get there. And besides, if I get there, my pocket is woefully inadequate. So um, I can't <laughs> do any damage on a, a credit card. <laughs> so I, I tend to steer, steer reasonably well clear, um, certainly at the moment. But um, one day I'll get there and I'll invest. Uh, but no, there's some fantastic racing. Um, and it, it runs you know, very solidly from kind of nine o'clock uh, each day. Um, and goes on till um, till nine in the evening on Saturday. So um, it really is going to be uh, very spectacular again. Um, let's hope the weather's with us. Um, but there's something for everybody. That's that's the whole point of the classic. There's some fantastic single seater racing, some mega sports car racing, um, and some really good touring car stuff as well. So you know, what, whatever your preference, um, there, there's something in the bag for you. Yeah, just to, just to give some examples of that, we've obviously got the pre-war sports cars and the sort of Brooklyn celebration all the way up to to really the, the Masters uh, legend sports cars, which really, I mean, they're not historic cars, are they? We're talking Peugeot 908s and Emmanuel Collard's there in a Porsche uh, RS Spider, uh, which I saw at Le Mans in 2008. Um, these are pretty recent cars that are very quick and would blow away quite a few contemporary I, I uh, guess that's categories. why it's called the classic, um, not the historic. Yes, perhaps that's perhaps that's fair. Um, but I mean, that's just the sports cars. So there's 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 F one from sixties uh, all the way through to the sort of DFV era tin tops as well. Um, but I'm going to throw it to, to you now, Ben. Um, you've obviously been to a wide range of events from one day clubbies when you were when you were a driver all the way through to Le Mans and F one as a reporter. Um, but you've also raced at the classic. So how does how does the event strike you in terms of its size and scope and just how much that's going on? Yeah, the the scale is vast, and uh, it's probably the only event other than the Grand Prix, the Formula One Grand Prix, perhaps that uses every part of Silverstone's facilities. And in fact, more because uh, at the Classic, you've got both the old pit and paddock uh, by Woodcut and the current wing building one full. They're just cars, transporters, people everywhere. Uh, and that's just on the racing side. And there's so many categories, so many cars that you don't see very often come out to do an event like this because it's one of the, the showpiece events on the historic calendar. So you've got enough to get round uh, just as a competitor or someone like Marcus said who's interested in the racing side. But then you've got everything else around on the campus as well, all the various car clubs and their displays and what have you. So basically from the moment you walk through the gates, there's something to feast your eyes upon. Uh, I think that's right. I think what, what is great, um, Ben, is that um, the the cars and the transporters, by and large, are segregated uh, at the Classic, which means that you have a pretty much unimpeded view of cars within the pits, whether you're in the wing or the, as they like to call them, the heritage pits. Um, yes. Very glamorous, <laughs> but that just means the old pits, really. Um, and the uh, what is brilliant is before each session, uh, the cars are um, cars and drivers are channeled um, through um, one of the pits, effectively uh, out onto the track. So you get that wonderful view of of the entire entry um, lined up and and going out with with a with a decent backdrop. You don't have to sort of seek them all out um, in, in little nooks and crannies throughout the paddock. Um, they're all there coming out, and of course, once you've got through qualifying, uh, they're put in their grid order. So you've got um, uh, the, the quickest competitors at the front and um, you, you work down the grid which makes the job 
um, rather easier for the marshals who are lining them up. Yeah, I would say actually, um, for those that haven't been, uh, if you do like, as Marcus says, and I would agree with it, the yeah, the highlights of the racing, you want to see the races, you won't have time for anything else because uh, first race <laughs> on Saturday starts at nine o'clock uh, and it goes, you know, there are 21 races then uh, right up till Sunday evening. So if you want to do anything else, you either have to decide which races you're going to miss or come along on Friday when it's it's practising qualifying and then you can get around the paddock and all, and all the other things. Um, I, think, I think that's right. That's absolutely um, correct, Kev. I think what's interesting is, again, uh, Formula Junior, which likes to be uh, in, the, um, in the old paddock uh, behind Woodcurs, um, the FJHRA has, has opted again for the early slot um, which means you've got to be there pretty pronto to see them. And unfortunately, um, if you're a fan of really close racing, it's probably going to be one of the best grids um, of the weekend. So um, my, my advice would be to be there for 8 o'clock, um, get your place and um, uh, and be prepared to watch some stonking Formula Junior action, the cars of 58 to 63, um, before you, you do anything else. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to back that up as well because uh, I think regular listeners will know that my preference is for big, hairy sports cars. So Formula Junior is kind of the opposite to that. And yet there have been a couple of times, or well, probably quite a few years ago now, I remember battles between uh, Sam Wilson and John Milicevic, which were the highlights, I would say, of the of the entire event <laughs> because yeah, the racing incredible. was so good. They have been brilliant. So I would definitely... I mean, if, if you're not familiar with Formula Junior, I think Formula Ford, but a but a bit older and cooler, I think. Perhaps is that a bit harsh, Marcus, on Formula well, no, Ford? I think, I think that's absolutely right. It's the forerunner. It's the Formula Ford of its day, except it's Formula BMC, uh, Formula Ford, Formula Fiat, Formula Lancia, Formula, you know, you name it, the engines there. Um, there were even, I think, cars powered by Skoda engines at one point in, uh, in Formula Junior, uh, before Skoda became the big name that it is now as part of the VW group. But um, they're wonderful, and they're a mix of front-engine cars, rear-engine cars. You've got um, Ray Malik, who's the reigning um, front-engine champion, uh, who won a race, the very first um, classic, effectively, the, um, the, the first of the historic festivals back in 1990 in Aston Martin um, DBR2, I think it was, wasn't it? And um, he's back in um, one of his late father's um, early U2 Mark IIs. So um, that'll be good. I mean, he'll, he won't feature in the overall results probably because um, in, if it's drive, which we all hope it will be from the point of view of the comfort of uh, onlookers, um, it'll be the later um, front engine cars that, uh, that that do the winning. But nonetheless, there's compete, they compete in various classes and uh, they're all gunning for glory in their own sort of, um, in their own groups. And aside from the Formula Junior, Marcus, what, what, what other races do you expect either to be really good or packed with interesting cars or drivers i mean i I like the historics because of the machinery but actually there are a lot of good drivers in a lot of the fields now as well so are there any cars or drivers that have kind of jumped out at you from the entry list well there there are and and i I absolutely adore um formula two of the two liter era uh, and two liter sports cars um of that similar kind of 70s era when the european championship was at its height um i mean I was quite sad when Formula 2 morphed into Formula 3000 um, for, for 85 because uh, at the end of the day, that was that stepping stone, F3, F2, F1, gone. Yes, now we have Formula 2 again, but it's not kind of what it was. Um, and in those days, all the aspiring Grand Prix drivers were, were there. Um, and I've I banged on about it before. It was a multi-mark, uh, multi-engine category. Um, all the cars had their own personalities, their own colour schemes, etc. And um, you knew which was a March or a Chevron or a Rolt or a Lola or a, a, a Martini or whatever else. And um, it was always brilliant to see. And we have a really great collection of Formula 2 cars out this weekend. I think we had 50-something last year. Um, and, of course, that series has been completely torpedoed by the COVID pandemic because it was due to travel to numerous wonderful tracks uh, abroad, um, to places like Zandvoort and uh, Dijon. Um, and, and these events are very, very difficult to get to right now. Um, and therefore, it's become a sort of de facto British series again uh, for the time being. It will blossom again, I'm sure, in um, in the years to come. But um, we're going to have 
150-mile-an-hour cars um, driven by some very, very quick people. And we had a, a dress rehearsal in May uh, at the international HSCC's international trophy meeting uh, when Miles Griffiths again showed his um, his prowess in a in a Rolt. But um, I think the, uh, the the competition this time round will be rather uh, rather keener. Well, and it's worth saying that some of the grids have been extended, haven't they? From to, I think to sixty one cars, which is is an enormous uh, an enormous number for uh, for some of the categories. But the circuits licensed on. Uh, on length of races, uh, apart from uh, types of cars. And um, if you run a longer race, an hour's race or something like that, you can obviously start more uh, over that period than you could if it was only a half-hour race or whatever. Um, and we've got some some magnificent races. I mean, the pre-63 uh, GT race is, is always an absolute scorcher. We've got fantastic 50 sports cars, the um, uh, Royal Automobile Club Woodcut Trophy and Sterling Moss Trophy, pre-61 cars um, in, in that grid, um, and a lot in the early pre-56 section as well. And um, if you like your Jaguar C-types and D-types and uh, all of that, that's brilliant. But into the GTs, you've got the Jaguar E-types. And I know Ben's been out in some E-types recently, and you've got a big feature coming up in Thursday's issue. He has. We're going we're gonna to get to that in a minute, but I want to ask him about a different car that he's driven at yeah. Silverstone just before we get to that, because um, I think one thing that all, pretty much all these cars share that Marcus is talking about is they're loud. They're loud. They sound <laughs> different. But now, they don't get much louder than a particular car that you raced a few years ago at the Classic. Uh, and I wanted, well, first of you to tell us a little bit about that, but also how you rate Silverstone Grand Prix circuit as a circuit for historic cars. Yes. So you're referring to the Chevron B37, aren't you? The I am. <laughs> what else? Yes, the ex-Peter <laughs> Gethin car that uh, Simon Hadfield. Something owned. we have in common because well, we both we both raced it at different points. Yes. Yeah. And I was I was not supposed to race that car. So uh, the original plan was that I would race a Trojan, uh, because Simon had two of them, and. I was racing in Formula V at the time, so this is 2012, and I remember testing at Mallory Park on a Wednesday, as you do, Wednesday morning, and Simon just, it's nearby for him, very nearby for him, he just rocks up uh, and wheels this Trojan out into the pit lane, and I thought, oh, this is cool, and he said, uh, yeah, have a go, and I mean, we've been, he, we've been talking about doing the classic, it's, this wasn't completely out of the blue, he, he'd phoned me up in the office, and said oh you know they're, they're doing a big uh a big Gethin trophy race at that year's classic for formula 5000 and formula 2 cars would you like to have a go and of course i said yes i mean <laughs> who wouldn't uh you know it's about the closest you could get to formula one without being in formula one in that period uh so yeah um but unexpectedly he he turned up at mary with this car and said oh, off you go so my first experience of Formula 5000 was, was going around Mallory Park in 40-whatever-it-was seconds. Well, where, where, of course, they, they raced in period, which was absolutely extraordinary. You can't do yeah. that really now. But, so you went, you went from Formula V, which is a load of hot air, to Formula 5000, yes. which is a very big load of hot air. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and uh, uh, it was just all a blur, really. <laughs> and uh, I remember, I think I got a rear puncture, a slow puncture, and I mean, there was so much going on and my mind was so blown, I didn't even realise until I got out of the car that the tyre the, the was deflating. And so I remember Simon saying, oh, yeah, not bad for, for not bad with the puncture. Uh, so we moved on from there to, to doing the classic proper. But um, the Trojan I was supposed to drive, uh, the engine blew up, I think, at the, at the precursor meeting you mentioned earlier, Marcus, the International Trophy Race. Uh, so um, that had to be a last-minute swap around, and in in the end, Simon competed in uh, competed in the brown Trojan. I uh, can't remember which which driver used to race that. Was that was the car that, um, that that John Watson drove once at the end of '73. That's mainly right. Willie, mainly Willie Green, Damien McGee also drove it. Um, the hexagon Highgate car. The yes, one, the one that I had my first experience of five thousand in at Silverstone on the Grand Prix circuit, but not the current Grand Prix circuit, the one that was current kind of then. But what was amazing to me, I don't know whether you felt it as well, I was going down the hangar straight pulling, I don't know, 175 miles an hour, side by side with Sid Hull, 
who was in Duncan Dayton's Brabham BT33 Formula One car. Neither car belonged to us. And we're looking at each other and thinking, is this really happening? Is this really happening? <laughs> I just remember I could, I could hear over the engine noise of the DFB to my left and the, Chev- uh, and the Chevrolet V8 behind me, I could actually hear uh, and sense my heart beating inside through my ears in the helmet. I could go, boof, 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 which I just found totally surreal. Because yeah. the great thing about the 5000s is they're not they're not ground effect cars. I so say the only ground effect one was the, the very late Elfin that Gary Cooper built in Australia. But so they're not trying to rip your head off. And people find it hard to believe that they're not horrendously physical to drive, are they? No, uh, there's a, it's a lot of go and stop, really. Yeah, um, yeah. Because they, they, they have big tyres, but they don't have a huge amount of grip, particularly on the front. So you find yourself basically thundering down the straight. I mean, I'm amazed you managed to hear your, your own heartbeat. I couldn't hear anything apart from, the, apart from the roar of the engine. And in fact, it's the only, it's the only not the only car, but it's, it's the, probably the first car that I've driven in my career that just sitting in the collecting area. And of course, at the Classic, you have two collecting areas for each pit, uh, which is unusual anyway. Um, but being in the collecting area by the the heritage pits uh, or the old pits, um, we'd fire it up, and the f- the flock of people to the car uh, just just for that, and to hear it being revved and warmed up. I mean, it's that's one of the most special things about it. Really, it just has this this enormous sound that just draws attention and draws people to it. Uh, and that that continues out on the track. Really, you, you just you thunder down the straights, and they go by in the blink of an eye. And then you kind of have to stop, you know, using these old brakes and aerodynamics as best you can, and then try and pivot the car into the corners, but not too aggressively because you've got this massive pendulum behind you that's just going to swing round and you and keep you going like a hammer if you're not careful. And then you've got to pick the throttle up and do it all over again and. Uh, try and tame the, the the power going through the rear wheels um, exactly but they're, stunning. They're, amazing, they're amazing things aren't they i mean that's I, I did the classic in uh, in the trojan i did another one in the in a, a t330 lola which was absolutely awesome because the wing in 73 was so far back that up through the old abbey the long left-handed abbey um pulling nearly 160 i didn't do the test day or anything like that it was just absolutely fabulous i was running kind of in the top four or five of a of a really big grid uh, without any real experience of the car, which is great. But my my first experience really of the um, um, of the of the classic was in '99 uh, at the opposite end of the capacity scale, um, where I was putting the program together for the event and I'm um, trying to get the entry list right in a in a typesetter up in Potter's Bar, I think it was, and um, and I was trying to check who was driving in the HTPCA race and Duncan Dayton's presented in a couple of cars. And um, I, I spoke to Sid Hool who looked after Duncan's cars and said, who's driving the Lola Mark IV, the sort of John Surtees 60, um, 62, uh, one and a half litre V8 uh, Climax car. And um, he said, oh, he said, um, how soon do you need to know for the program? So I said, well, next couple hours would, would be just perfect. So he said, let me call Duncan. He rang Duncan. He called me back and said, uh, um, would you like to race it uh, in the event? So I said, um, kind of, is, is the Pope a Catholic? I think he was last time I looked. And um, so, um, so yes, uh, I, he said, put your name in. So um, I drove um, this little Lola, little tube frame Lola, which sort of the same size as a, a Formula Junior, like the Formula Junior car that um, Richard Atwood drove and won the, uh, Monaco um, Formula Junior race, but um, with this 1500cc uh, V8 uh, in it, which has no real torque, it's all kind of top end, as you can imagine, 1500, and um, it was just absolutely awesome. Again, didn't do the um, didn't do the test day; it wasn't quite ready. Um, had a, a run in the in the Saturday race, and it started to overheat a bit. And I thought, nah, this is not a very good idea. So I came in. And it was the little spring cap in the in the thermostat that had failed, which I'd had once before in another car. So I just was wary of it. So I had to go in the from the back of the second race, which was like I don't know forty five cars or something, and scream through the field. And that noise was just 
extraordinary. It was like a sort of singing saw, just sort of screaming in your ears and just mighty. But what was more exciting than that was that it was a red hot weekend. And um, I, I remember um, uh, Fiona, my, my wife, turning around and saying, you know, we ought to cool you down a little bit. So um, she went and rang, rang my um, racing undies out in freezing cold water um, in a sort of a shower. Uh, and then said, get into those or whatever. And I did the same with the balaclava. And always on a hot day now, I bring the balaclava out in really cold uh, water if I was doing something. And it kind of gives you a kind of a, a cool head for the first three or four laps, uh, which is absolutely brilliant. But it was just superb. And to see a, a car that John Surtees, um, so to be in a car that John Surtees, who everybody admired um, in the event of that stature, was was just fabulous. And uh, it was a, a, a really great privilege, for which I'm very grateful. She's a brave woman, isn't she, to uh, to be ringing out a racing driver's undies uh, during yeah, a red, red hot race feet. meeting. They were clean undies. It was an exciting one because um, you know that that particular uh, thing. I think our, our the one daughter we had at that point uh, was only about four months old, so it was her first classic as well. But Fanula's now at uni, so um, it's uh, absolutely extraordinary. But no, great. And I, I did that one, another one in, a, in Michael Scriver's Chevron B6, uh, which was incredible, um, brilliant, uh, brilliant car. Um, and the oldest sort of um, Chevron GT car that, uh, that that still races. And it's raced all the time since 1967. It's raced pretty much every season, uh, which is fabulous. So chassis, chassis two, yeah. I've raced that one too, actually. In, there you go. In, in a digression in, a, in a, at Snetterton in the... The Autosport three hours. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, great thing. car. Really, really wonderful piece of kit. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm glad we like the same sort of cars. We, we like different cars as well, but um, it, it's just brilliant that uh, we have some common ground here. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Well, I'm I, I, as a non-driver, I'm going to jump in. I like the same sort of cars. I just can't drive them like you guys. But um, <laughs> uh, now, of course, Marcus, in your piece, you said that the the original classic, which wasn't called a classic at the time, but 1990 event, mm. was the last race meeting on the old Silverstone, the, the really fast Silverstone, before yeah. they they made they made the changes. And of course, since then, it's changed quite a few times. So, I mean, this is to both of you, perhaps, perhaps. Ben first, just because it's the most recent experience. Old cars don't tend to like stopping. So stopping and starting isn't great. You want a bit of a flow. So do you think that the current Silverstone circuit, I mean, they have obviously tightened up uh, the club chicane now. They use the current one, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and obviously there's the tight section at the start of the lap, which is quite good for overtaking. But in terms of getting a real flow going in an older car, do you think it's, do you think it's a, a, a good track? Well, when I did the Classic, uh, they... They didn't use the full current Formula One Grand Prix layout. They used a historic version, which cut out the tight chicane and replaced it with a sweeping S. So you'd come out of Stowe and then you'd have a quick left, right, and then you'd go into what is now the final corner. Uh, so that helped actually with the flow because pretty much then all all of the lap was fast apart from turn two and three, the, the new tight loop, which you can't escape. Uh, and then obviously Luffield, but everything else was fast. So I think the balance on that layout was just about right because you still had you need some heavy braking zones to you know encourage overtaking in the the bigger cars that isn't slipstreaming. Um, but you want most of the track to be fast and flowing and wide because especially in the quicker cars like the Chevron F five thousand. You want to be able to unleash it for as long as possible. <laughs> so you'd be quite upset if you were, you know, having to constantly be on the brakes rather than on the throttle. 
What, and what do you think, Marcus? I mean, from a spectator's point of view, Silverstone's a little bit frustrated because you can't see that much of the circuit from any one place. Although the stand sort of between Beckett's and the new loop is actually quite good. You can see them twice. Um, but from a, uh, from a competitor's point of view, obviously, the, I guess there's lots of runoff. So that's quite good. So what, what do you think the current historic guys make of, make of Silverstone historic Grand Prix track? I think they got used to it more and more. I think there's there are elements of it. Certainly, the the, the tight uh, bit that Ben was talking about, the two and three, whatever they're called, uh, the loop, um, etc., and um, entry out onto the um, onto the Wellington Strait. Uh, they do tend to compress the field. They also tend to be an area of the circuit where mistakes are made um, in the heat of battle, which makes it quite exciting. Um, it, I mean, I go back to the days when when I first went to Silverstone in 1958, not that I remember much about it. But in 67, I stood at Stowe, and you could see Jim Clark and his buddies coming out of um, Chapel onto the Hangar Strait, all the way down, through the right-hander at Stowe, slight incline down, through the right-hander at Club, up the hill, through Abbey, and, and away. So you could see, I guess, pretty much half the circuit from that point and also from other points in the circuit you could probably see a third of it so that was um, that was very very different but um i think it, it it suits it suits certain types of car and and it doesn't really agree with, with with some of the others but of course a couple of times in the history of the classic there have been late changes in the um in the way the circuit's gone including the time when um the uh, msa at the time um i think the fia set, sort of stepped in and said well you can't use that um, softened approach to club. And uh, everyone was geared for that. They were waiting for that. And, um, of course, the very tight stop doesn't help a lot of the older cars. And we're going to see pre-war cars uh, here uh, this weekend. And they prefer the, the much more kind of lenient uh, approach, the more balanced approach to a lap. Um, but kind of it is what it is, isn't it? And um, there's no point sort of saying, well, I wish we had that because we don't. Um, another time, of course, they put in the um, where we used to use the old abbey, the long sweeping abbey. Uh, there was the era just after that when the short sort of straight up towards abbey uh, was kind of punctuated by a very tight chicane. So you virtually stopped, then turned 90 degrees, then turned back onto the old circuit up over the brown under the bridge, which again was annoying, but it kind of it, it, it caused a uh, caused a bit of a Ferrari at the time, but there was another extra overtaking place or an extra place to screw up if you, um, you outbreak yourself and then kind of got re-overtaken. Um, so it all made for exciting viewing and usually the spectators were pretty close at hand sort of overlooking uh, overlooking the track up there as well, which was cool. I must admit that is one area of um, uh, that I do miss is the old flat abbey and then into bridge. Yes. So as it as it was in the early mid, I think I remember seeing some Can-Am McLarens thunder past me there. God knows what they were doing, uh, what speed they were doing as they came past. But uh, I imagine to be flat chat in a seven litre V8 Can-Am car towards Bridge, which then falls away and goes round to the right, would be a good test of um, just, a good test of bravery, if, if nothing else. Just, just the seven. I think the quickest ones now are eight point eight. Yes, yeah, they're uh, bigger, aren't they? Yeah. I, I remember being at the, the Can-Am reunion. Um, at Road America in the States uh, in 1996, the 30 years reunion. So um, it kind of has a, a, a symmetry with the uh, uh, with the classic in the 30-year kind of uh, era. And um, I was standing on a um, close to one of the marshals' posts. Uh, if you're familiar with Road America, then there's a sort of a, um, a sweep up over a brow over the uh, start-finish line and a long, long run to the first corner, which is a right-hander, sort of like a 90 right. And the marshal said, uh, hey, sir, you can't stand here because uh, you, you're wearing shorts. I said, uh, and, and, your, and your point is, and he said, well, cars are going very fast here. And um, if there's an accident, you're going to be involved. I said, my dear chap, I know that that chap there in the McLaren, I pointed to whoever it was who was quickest. I know he's pulling 204 miles an hour at the end of the straight. So I suspect that if you're in the next county, you may still be involved. So shorts or not, it didn't really matter. But um, they're incredible things. Some of those Can-Am cars, and we'll see, um, we'll see several out um, this weekend. There's, um, you see, Callum Lockie in the uh, in the March seven one seven, the old Helmut Kellner's car. Uh, I think Dean Ford will be out in Jamie Thwaites' McLaren M eight F, and I think there might be one or two others uh, joining the fray as well. But um, 
uh, case in, in some parts of the circuit they'll be absolutely reign supreme but uh, in a lot of the others they'll be hamstrung by their, their power and um, the little chevrons and lolas and all those sort of cars we love from the two liter era uh, will be in their elements that that was one of the things i was going to say actually i do like about the current layout is there are enough twisty tight bits for the two liter cars i was going to say t70s and the world sports car masters you know the two liters versus those but it sort of applies to thunder sports as well so they're quick at different parts of the track uh i mean at the race that that ben was i mean he was very modest there he was actually running third in the formula 5000 chevron uh before it broke but he was running third to martin stretton and simon hadfield who are pretty reasonable in these cars i think it's fair to say martin was in an f2 car and simon's in f5000 car and it toed and froed around the lap it was fantastic to watch so yeah. there's always that possibility as well when you've got the different the different layout and, um, and Stratton's, on, Stratton's on top form again he's put a two liter um, bda stroke g engine in his 712 march so an early kind of a 1600 type car but with a two liter engine um, and that at Brands Hatch at the HSCC's Legends of um, Brands Superprix uh, two or three weeks ago was absolutely awesome. He, he won a fabulous race with, uh, against Matt Wrigley uh, in a heart-powered March 782. And um, they were all over each other for the whole distance. And uh, it was brilliant to watch. And both of those guys are out in this bumper Formula 2 field uh, this weekend. So um, provided the cars remain uh, reliable, um, they're going to be at the sharp end for sure. Absolutely. Anyone that thinks them, uh, that doubts that historic racing cars aren't driven fast or properly needs to come along and see the front end of, well, pretty much any of the grids, I would think here. The front, the front people in any of those classes will be, will be uh, worth watching. Um, but one of the things that's happening this weekend, which also coincides with something we're doing in the magazine that Marcus hinted at earlier, uh, it's the 60th anniversary of the Jaguar E-Type. Uh, it won on its race debut in April 1961. Um, some bloke called Graham Hill was driving and uh, someone almost <laughs> as good yeah someone almost as good um, we put in we put Ben in a couple of uh, a couple of E-types Gary Pearson uh, supplied them at a Brands Hatch track test there'll be a 60th anniversary race at the Classic this weekend but Ben um, obviously you had Brands which is a bit of a tight Brands Indy which is a bit of a tight circuit uh, you drove a pre-63 car and a pre sixty six semi lightweight. So yeah, what did you make of what did you make of those two? Yeah, uh, it was a, a, another wonderful experience. Really, I'm very lucky. Um, uh, my second experience with the E Type, I briefly drove um, Les Ely's E Type way back in 2010 uh, for a multi car test we did ahead of the Autosport Three Hours at Snetterton, but. Uh, I didn't fit the car properly. I couldn't get the harness. We couldn't get the harness tight enough to strap me in. So it was a bit of a, um, a bit of an uneasy experience. You know, the old Snetterton being one of the, you know, one of the fastest circuits to be driving a car when your, your belt's not done up. I mean, obviously drivers of the fifties and sixties would tell me to sharp and get on with it, but <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel quite so comfortable. Um, at this time, no such problems. Um, you know, the Pearson E-types are, fitted really well a bit tall for them but um no perfectly drivable and a very enjoyable experience and again um it 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 was similar i mentioned this in the feature as well um similar experience to with the the 5000 that there were guys there were guys of a certain age in the in the pits um working on the the euro nascars for that weekend's coming speed fest who were coming out of the garages when they heard these e-types coming up to the pits to go out onto the track to to look at them to take pictures of them to take videos of them they were asking me to rev the engines um so again a really evocative car for for many people um and they were really really enjoyable to drive brands i don't think the indie circuit is quite the right place for them um they 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 did well but i feel that they're cars that suit again circuits that are a bit faster and more flowing um they've got They've got more go in a straight line than they have turning ability, I would say. Um, so Jaguar, imagine Jaguar, I'm a, a Jaguar by definition has got to be leggy, hasn't it? And um, yeah, yeah, going really quickly. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. weren't trying to tootle around um, uh, those those tight corners uh, at Silverstone, but the, the big faster ones, the sweepers, they're brilliant. In yeah, yeah, you, you could you could sense that, and I imagine yeah at the classic this weekend, Pearson. I think Martin Brundle has been invited to drive alongside. Gary, so I didn't do quite well enough to get the call up this time, but you know it's fair enough to to lose out to an XF1 driver. 
um, yeah, I think they'll have a lot of fun uh, somewhere like Silverstone or Donington. I imagine they're in their element. Um, very, very much. Brand, so, yeah. Brands oh, not so much, but they were they were a joy to drive. A really, really enjoyable experience. My, my experience of, of, of E-types is very limited. Um, I had a, a, a quick run in pouring rain at Snetterton um, in Julian Thomas's um, low-drag coupe, again ahead of an Autosport three hours. And I drove um, a Healy as well, first time I'd been in a Healy, other than as a passenger uh, at Castle Coombe, which was quite entertaining. Uh, but uh, that, that was really good fun. But my first experience of seeing um, Healy's was in the, the mod sports category, uh, in the early 70s when I was kind of um, there as an enthusiast and later as a um, as a sort of grid marshal. And um, seeing the uh, the guys come out with them, there are probably, I don't know, half a dozen really, really good guys in E-types. Um, down uh, at Thruxton, there was John Burbage, who was a sort of local baker who had one. He was really good. Tony Shaw was really good. And then there were the Bryans. Um, there, there, were, there were three Bryans up north. Brian Litherland was one of them. Uh, and I, I remember the other two as well, um, sort of battling with those cars. And they were, wherever you went on, uh, in, the, in, in the country, there was sort of two or three local heroes uh, would come in uh, and drive them. Alton Park was you know, Brian Mills, Brian Murphy, Brian Netherland. Uh, and then there'd be sort of Peter Archer and James Meehew somewhere else. And, uh, it's absolutely superb. And um, mod sports was a, was a really fun thing back then. But this, of course, is much more serious. These, are, these cars are presented in homolo homologated specification. And you've got the pre-63 ones that will be out in the um, RAC Historic Tourist Trophy event with sort of narrow uh, wheels and tyres. And, uh, uh, and then the, uh, the much more developed semi-lightweights, as, as you said, um, which um, a lot of you know, the really, really top drivers um, competed in uh, in the day. Um, alongside their Formula One commitment. Yeah, and actually it was interesting talking to Gary Pearson about those cars because he said both of them are under-braked. Jaguar didn't throw the kitchen sink at GT racing in the early and mid-60s in the way that, say, Ferrari or Shelby did with the with the Cobra. And he said that in handling uh, handling terms, it was right up there and you could, you, you'd could happily drive one for an hour and a half whereas a Cobra you'd be fighting, but the Cobra's got brake discs about twice the size, so more power and bigger brakes means that anywhere other than a flowing circuit like Goodwood uh, or Donington Park you picked out as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out at, uh, uh, at Silverstone this weekend. Um, but, but Marcus, we've got a, a 60th anniversary race uh, at the Classic as well for the E-Type. Who are the likely... I think, I think the Brundles, I think both Alex and Martin are sharing one, so... Martin is sharing, as, as Ben says, with Gary in the pre-63 car, and then the, the hotter one they're sharing, I think it might even be one of the sort of continuation lightweight cars that the two Brundles are sharing. But, but who else do you think will be, who else are the likely front runners in a, in a Jaguar E-type contest? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the list now, the 60th anniversary E-type challenge. Um, yes, um, number one are the Brundles, Martin and Alex, in a, in a lightweight car. Um, but so you go down the list, and it's um, it, it's all star uh, all star competitors. You've got Martin Stretton um, in there. Um, who else have you got? Miles Griffiths will be very very quick, um, and, and 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 so it goes on. Um, you've got um, uh, Graham and James Dodd, uh, Alex Buncombe, Gary Pearson. Uh, they're all down there. Tiffany Dell in John Spears's car, fresh off a a good win at uh, Thruxton. Uh, back in uh, in June, you've got the Minshaws, um, John Minshaw and his son, and his lad Jack, who is really coming on so well uh, right now in one of the Demon Tweaks team cars. Uh, they'll be good. Um, we've even got a um, uh, an interesting you've got an ex National Hot Rod racer, um, Shane Brereton, who's um, who's coming to historics fairly recently. I remember watching him at Wimbledon um, Wimbledon Stadium, RIP, um, in a uh, in a VW Corrado. Uh, back about 20 years ago. So he's come quite a long way. Um, but you've got Andy Newell, who will always be quick in, in Rea Salto's car, the, the German lady. Um, she, she's quick too, and a very, very good technician. Um, Jason Minshaw makes it three from that family. Uh, Gregor Fiskin, who's done uh, Le Mans uh, in the past. And it really is a, a fantastic uh, group of, of drivers. Mike and Matt Wrigley. Uh, Nigel Greensall's in there, Julian Thomas and Callum Lockie. Uh, it'll be very, very difficult to to pick a natural winner out of that group because 
so much can unfold um, over, over the course of that sort of race. And because they're close and closely matched in the two different age groups, um, I think there'll be a fair number of thrills and spills along the way. Very interesting to hear Marcus run through that list because that's just a really good example of just how many top drives you get in any one of those fields. Not all, of course, um, but but a lot of the fields will have you know, a good number of, uh, of possible winners or podium contenders. And as Marcus says, it could be just who has the luck or, or gets it together on the day, really. Um, just to give some uh, give some ideas about what else is going on, I think there are a couple of demos um, worth mentioning. One is uh, Damon Hill and his 1996 World Championship winning uh, Williams FW18. Uh, which is a which is a fantastic. I'm sure Ben would enjoy that because he's a bit of a Damon Hill fan. Uh, and then um, yeah, uh, and then the Jaguar XJR15, uh, which has got to be probably. I reckon if we we should do a podcast on the best one make categories of all time, that's probably second to Pro Car the M1s. Oh, it, was it was a bit of a crash perfect. crash fest, wasn't it? At times the XJR15s. Yeah. You wouldn't go for the Ford P100 pickup trucks, that's for sure. No, quite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a three-race series, I think, in 1991, the XJR-15s. Um, occasionally saw the odd one in when Group C GTP got going. I remember watching the first uh, first such race at Donington Park, and they only managed to get about three or four Group C cars and filled the grid with all sorts of other sort of single-spec sports cars, of which that was one. Lots of cars broke down. They're much more reliable now. Um but yes, that's that's. Uh, t- take a look at Marcus's preview in this week's magazine, and Marcus's full race report will be in the following week. So it's uh, 29th of July this week, and August the fifth next week. Um, and yeah, I'll just finish with Marcus. Is there anything else that you want to mention about the classic before we uh, before we finish up? Well, I think we've got um, we've got this awesome pre-war sports car race, which uh, harks back to the days of Brooklands. Um, that's going to be uh, really impressive. And among the drivers in that field is Richard Bradley, who does modern prototype racing. So that's a real sea change for him. But he's been out in that series uh, for quite a while. Um, we've got, um, I know that there's a, a change of driver in one of the clubs. He's, he's driving the Alta Sports, which is always was fast but fragile. Jeffrey Taylor's car was built in Tolworth in Surrey. But um, that could be a, a real contender in there against the Talbots, um, and uh, some other uh, very, very quick entries in there. So cars of the 20s uh, and 30s. Uh, we've got three um, – we, we've certainly got two grids of, um, uh, of, of single-seaters, big single-seaters, and you've got the HGPCA cars as well, which is front and rear uh, all put together. Um, and that's always fantastic, seeing the Coopers and Lotuses and Maserati 250Fs. Um, and, of course, Silverstone – uh, not recognisable these days as the, as the one in which the World Championship kicked off in 1950, but um, still nonetheless, Silverstone um, is a great showcase of those cars. And there's some fascinating machines coming out. There's a, a Curtis from the States. There's Lotus 18s, uh, one of those Lola Mark 4s again, which is absolutely superb, BRM P261. So you've got screaming 1500 V8s. You've got thuggish two and a half litres. You've got some bigger engines. Um, Tasman cars as well. That'll be great. Um, there'll be um, a super uh, touring car fest. It always amazes me at places like Goodwood and Silverstone how the, uh, the Cooperesses these days um, um, very easily seem to keep up with uh, with Americana, uh, which uh, is, is always a, a, a bit of a mystery. They were always fantastic in the corners, but you will notice that Silverstone has long straights, and I bet the likes of Nick Swift and co will be probably glued to the back bumper of a Galaxy or a Mustang or a Falcon or whatever else and pop out of the slipstream somewhere like Stowe where they don't really have to worry about the brakes in a Mini. They just chuck it sideways and keep their right foot planted. No, don't get me started on Minis. I've been at many events where people are cheering on the Mini as the kind of the giant killer. No, I like a big, hairy big hairy Galaxy or a Falcon or a Mustang or even a Cortina, please. Not a front-wheel drive thing. No, no, no. Uh, even though I accept that the Mini Cooper is remarkable, and actually the the one again the one mate races for that at Silverstone and have been absolutely phenomenal. So um, there is a there is a mini race. There, there is a mini race. Which there is. Yeah, yeah. Always, yeah. always good to watch. And um, picking a winner out of that. I mean, even at the start of the last lap, probably quite difficult. I, I was going to say the last corner, but uh, <laughs> and slipstreaming. Um, so just just before we go, Ben, I'm going to throw to you. So which which car or tr- or race do I need to try and get you a 
get you in for the 2022 classic what's uh what's the car that's uh or the race that you think yeah i think that'd be the one to have a go in oh i mean take take your pick kev i mean there's there's too many uh but obviously super touring that that uh that sounds pretty tasty i was gonna say we need we need um, better than an rs500 um sierra you know? yeah yeah i have that certainly 560 brake for about a lap and a half and then to worry about how little brakes are there <laughs> yeah. uh, so in that in that race this weekend we've got uh, freddie hunt um who is a late entry he's showing rick wood's um calsonic tribute nissan skyline which has about 680 brake uh which is quite fun for a uh, four-wheel drive and of course his father won the uh uh, the British Grand Prix. He won twice, won the uh, international trophy at Silverstone. So um, he's found himself a seat. Now, uh, Freddie Hunt is an interesting one because he did. Uh, I was covering British Formula Ford. This really is a tangent. Now he was doing British Formula Ford, and I was covering it. And uh, he was in uh, the JTR team, Nick and Joe Tandy's team. And they said when he was just testing, he was amazing. As soon as they'd say, right, we're going to simulate qualifying, go out, off at the first corner. It was just some kind of mental thing where he had the ability to do it, do the lap, so long as he didn't mean anything. And, and that's pretty much what happened during the season as well. There were all sorts of, um, I don't want to say hunt the shunt, because I think that was used before. But um, <laughs> yeah, it would uh, be interesting to see how he gets on in, uh, in such a beast. Um, but that would be just one of many, many storylines and, uh, and things to look out for this weekend. So um, I'd just like to finish by saying thank you very much to Marcus Pye and good Good luck this weekend because covering 21 races over the weekend is, is no mean feat. I've, well, I'm I've done that. you're going to be there to help. I, 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 yeah, I might be persuaded. Yeah, I might too. Yeah. Those and, modern uh, sports cars for you then, Kev. Uh, sorry? Those modern sports cars for you. Yeah, happy to, happy to. well, hopefully Collard will, will, uh, will get stuck in with the RS Spider. I'm quite looking forward to that. Um, apologies, apologies to Ben for not having lined up a race drive for him this, this year. <laughs> Maybe we'll try next year. But Sapped. thanks for joining the podcast anyway. <laughs> Uh, and thank you very much for, for all the listeners. Um, we'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This year is your year, even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash, Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.